Welcome back, Psychonauts. So, today we are going to be talking about sleep. Ah, yes. I thought I would do this one in a tired state. It would give you a little more authenticity. But no, seriously. Uh, we are going to be talking about sleep and dreams. But I'm also going to... Alright, this is a little smaller unit. And there was a little section in our last unit that I kind of wanted to add on to. And that was just kind of the effects of drugs on the brain. Now, I know it seems a little kind of out there for sleep and stuff. But when we start talking about hallucinations and, you know, dreams and just like that kind of stuff, uh, drugs do have kind of those effects on the brain as well. So, and they can disrupt a lot of our sleep patterns and all that stuff. So I kind of try to put all that together. So let's start off with being awake, even though we're talking about sleep, and that's consciousness. And the whole idea of consciousness is that state of awareness. Um... And consciousness is an interesting one, and I'm hoping to kind of delve into that one a little bit later on, just maybe even a full-blown unit just on consciousness. So uh, we'll see if we can get there. So, um, But anyhow, so as we get into sleep, just some things to kind of go on this. No one really knows why we sleep. Um, some people thought, oh, it's just restorative, maybe a type of very primitive hibernation. Um, maybe early on when we were, you know, uh, not quite the humans that we are today. Um, that sleep kept us out of harm's way when we were at night. If you've ever, uh, maybe some of you are a paralyzed sleeper uh, where you don't move too much. Um, some people think that sleep helps to clear our minds of just useless information. Um, and some people think the whole reason we sleep is just to dream. So, anyhow, let's talk about the stages of sleep. So, uh, we're going to have five full stages here. So we have stage one, and this is going to be the lightest level of sleep. Uh, the pulse slows, muscles relax, breathing becomes uneven, your brain waves grow irregular. Uh, if you awaken all of a sudden during this time, you'd be like, ah, oh, I, I, was, I was just drifting off, just, just drifting kind of thing. This is around a 10-minute stage, and it's kind of marked by the idea of uh, these theta waves. All right, stage two, not too much different here. Your eyes will roll slowly from side to side kind of thing. Uh, and then a full 30 minutes later, we enter stage three. All right, and this is large amplitude delta waves. Uh, and they go across our brain every second or so at this point. And then we get to stage four, and this is the deepest level of sleep. It is really difficult to wake people up at this part. Uh, large regular delta waves uh, occurring more than 50% of the time. Um, that's just full-on deep sleep. All right, now 75% of our sleep time is spent stages one through four. And this is sometimes called NREM or non-REM or kind of like a quiet sleep. And then you get to REM, REM sleep. Uh, also sometimes called active sleep. The muscles are um, relaxed even more. Um, and our eyes are just kind of like darting back and forth, moving rapidly. Uh, your face, fingers, sometimes will twitch, large muscles, arms, legs, generally tend to be paralyzed, but you're kind of twitching all the same, uh, at least with little fingers and face stuff. Um, and your brain is going to show waves that are going to resemble someone who is fully awake. And this is like when all of your dreams, well, I mean, dreams are occurring, but this is, this is the point where you kind of remember a lot of stuff. And this deep sleep that kind of leads up to this, uh, it's really important for physical and psychological well-being. Um, we kind of theorize that people that only need a few hours of sleep, they descend rapidly into stage four, that deep sleep. 
and they usually stay there for most of the time if they just take a nap. Um, the REM sleep, which lasts eh, somewhere between 15-45 minutes, um, this is usually early at night uh, and then again very late at night. Um, and this is, you, you kind of go in these 90 minute intervals uh, where you go down to stage four, uh, you get your REM, and then you kind of like wake up a little bit and then you get another cycle. Um, if, you, if you have like one of those bedtime apps on your phone, it'll show you some of those where you can kind of like, um, you can say, like, oh, I want to wake up at this time. Because like sometimes if you like wake up from a nap, you're like really groggy and stuff. Or if you wake up at the wrong time, even though you got a lot of sleep, you feel groggy. It's generally because you're supposed to sleep an hour and a half interval kind of thing. So it's like you should sleep six hours, seven and a half hours, nine hours, anything that's a multiple of 1.5 kind of hours of sleep. Um, and just kind of give you an idea, you're going to spend around a third of your life um, asleep, essentially. Uh, newborns, they spend around 16 hours a day sleeping, um, and about half of it is REM sleep. So a lot of brain development stuff going on there. Uh, once you get into the teenage years, 16-year-olds, they spend somewhere around 10 to 11 hours of sleep each night. If you've asked a high schooler, um, they're going to say no, not so much. Uh, grad students uh, get on average 8 hours of sleep a night. And then when you get a lot older and like the seven in your 70s or so, people report only getting around 5 hours of sleep. And it's theorized that they really just don't need as much sleep. So you need the most when you're the youngest, when you're the oldest, not as much. And that kind of gets us to this circadian rhythm. Uh, it's like a biological clock that kind of helps uh, out with, with, you know, understanding time. So this is generally kind of genetically programmed into us to regulate our psychological responses um, within a time period of around 24 to 25 hours. So henceforth, the average time of a day. So, uh, But here's the interesting thing about it. They operate even when a normal day and night cues are removed. So like people down in caves still maintain a rhythm uh, to their behavior, even though they are not presented with the sun or the moon or anything like that. Now granted, these do not control our sleep cycles. That is different. The environment and the 24-hour day controls our cycles kind of thing. So we can, we can alter these cycles essentially. Um, and it's like if you miss sleep, it's very, very apparent. It's like, oh, it's just because it's day out kind of thing. No, no, no. if you miss sleep, it's, it can be messy up. It's like jet lag. Have you ever heard of that before? Um, you know, people traveling in planes and stuff. It really messes with your internal circadian rhythms. Um, because it, you know your your body rhythms don't match the external clock or what's going on outside. Now all these all the sleep that's going in, there are a lot of sleep disorders. Um, insomnia is one of the big ones here, uh, which textbook definition a prolonged and usually abnormal inability to obtain adequate sleep. Uh, and there's a ton of reasons that this can happen: anxiety, depression, overuse of alcohol or other drugs. Like I said, we are going to talk about some of the drug-related issues and stuff and how that affects our brain and sleep and brain wave patterns and all that coming up. So that's kind of like part two of this. Um, another one, a very, very uh, common one in the United States, 12 million Americans supposedly suffer from this, uh, usually around older Americans. But um, anyhow, uh, sleep apnea, just older people in general. Um, and this is just interruptions of your breathing while you're trying to sleep. It's like uh, usually classified as specific type of snoring. Uh, and when you have these little episodes, it usually is like 10 to 15 seconds and it ends like suddenly with like a very physical movement of the entire body like, <gasps> you know, kind of like like person like they're essentially like 
their their breathing uh, is is being blocked. Um, they are like they are choking because the flow of air is, is not going into their lungs. So kind of a scary thing when you think about it. Uh, next up, another sleep disorder for you: narcolepsy. Um, and this is you know a permanent or overwhelming feeling of sleepiness and fatigue. Once again, you ask some high schoolers, they might say yes to this. Uh, but usually you have unusual sleep and dream patterns. Um, sometimes you have dreamlike hallucinations or like a feeling of temporary paralysis. Um, you might have sleep attacks. Just all of a sudden you're just like, I have to sleep. And you, and, and you do. Um, difficulties in like work, leisure, interpersonal relationships, communication and stuff. People have trouble because they just will instantly kind of fall asleep. Uh, these people are also prone to accidents because they have fallen asleep. Now, some people, you know, easily fall asleep, but others, they don't like being asleep because they get nightmares or frightening dreams. And this is usually a REM sleep kind of thing that happens. Um, and, you, you know, they're going to get frightened and, and it will be so vivid of a dream that they actually will um, wake up from them um, and just have this terrifying sense throughout them. And not too different from this is night terrors. Um, this one actually occurs in stage four. Um, it's usually within about an hour or so of going to bed and lasts maybe five to 20 minutes. Um, you know, someone's just gonna, you know, they can be screaming, sweating, confusion, uh, rapid heart rate, all these kind of things just scare them big time. Um, one that is, um, moving on to one that's not as common as, as, you know, I mean, people have had nightmares and stuff, maybe not as much night terrors. But uh, sleepwalking usually it's uh, it's usually with children, but it can go to adults too. Um, person's not really completely awake. Uh, they walk around clumsy. They don't really have any memory of it. Usually linked to stress, fatigue, um, some kind of sedative medicine sometimes, and people kind of theorize it may be inherited. Um, and one that's actually a very very common one that people don't realize because how often do you listen to yourself sleep is sleep talking or talking in your sleep. Um, most people do it uh, more than they realize. They just don't remember it. And that brings us to actual dreams. We've been kind of alluding to this, that we were going to be talking about this, but, uh, you know, we don't all remember dreams, but you better believe we all have dreams kind of thing. And you can recall, usually when you do recall dreams, uh, it's only a few of them um, that you have. Um, and some cultures actually remember them better uh, if your culture kind of like puts more uh, more emphasis on dreams and stuff. Uh, the first few free, few dreams of the night are uh, usually composed of vague thoughts left over from the day's activities. The later dreams you have uh, in the middle of the night, uh, they're sometimes longer, more vivid, more dramatic. Um, and these usually the, the ones uh, that are like this are the REM sleep ones. And... Um, the longer you're in REM, it kind of helps to remember these dreams. And usually the last dream um, of the night is the one that people remember, and it's the longest one generally. And when you're looking at these dreams, we kind of think about the content of them. And usually we just incorporate everyday activities into our dreams. Um, they take place in our living rooms, our cars, different streets by our house or something. People, things we're familiar with. Uh, we have recreation activities, passive events. We're usually sitting or watching something that's going on. These, rec uh, you know, um, you know, whatever activities that we are seeing, I guess. We just, we, we just kind of view them. And 
the sad thing is that most of the experiences that we have are kind of negative. Uh, anxiety, anger, sadness, and so on. You always talk about people that's just like, and I was standing in front of everyone and I didn't have my clothes on. Or anxiety, or sadness, you know, scared, you know, that kind of stuff. And um, contrary to popular belief in such movies as Inception, um, dreams correspond to a realistic time scale. It's not like they go slower or anything like that. So um, Now, another type of dreaming is daydreaming. Um, and this is a, a low level of awareness. Um, it's kind of like fan, uh, fantasizing about what's going on. Um, you're just kind of idle, but you're still kind of directed thinking, but you're awake. Um, it's it's usually we do this when we're when we're bored we don't have much going on um and then actually it daydream is really good for you um it, it's generally like a time where we like kind of are kind of organizing our mind our thoughts and kind of preparing for ourselves for the future um and, and people say it, it actually improves creativity um because you're generating this thought process sometimes you'll have epiphanies during this time because you're just kind of like sitting there and all of a sudden, oh, I, I had this idea. It, it all just came to me or whatever. Um, and uh, the last last little bit here I'm going to be talking about dreaming is uh, one just kind of like a modern day thing that's kind of interesting. That uh, lab scientists have been able to reconstruct uh, very simple images, black and white uh, images uh, of people's brains. Like what they're seeing when they are dreaming. Um, so they're analyzing the brain and they look at the blood flow and they can analyze the brain's visual cortex and see what we are dreaming about, which is way cool. And speaking of cool stuff like that, lucid dreaming. One of the coolest things if you can master it. There's all kinds of things on the internet that tell you how to do it. Not sure anyone's really got it down. But basically, you are aware that you are dreaming and you can like have some control over your dreams, which is like really cool, I think. All right, so kind of moving on from there. Um, another one, hypnosis. All right, so we talked about dreams and influencing and like our brain when we're in this kind of like non-real awake state. Um, so that kind of brings us into hypnosis. And from there, we'll get into a few others that kind of stay in the same realm. Uh, but anyhow, hypnosis. And this is a form of altered consciousness. We talked about consciousness at the beginning of this unit, but uh, people are, you become very suggestible to changes in your behavior and thought during this time. Now, this does not put you to sleep, so I don't want you to guys think that by any means. But during this, you know, hypnotic trance, people are awake, but they, you know, they'll, they'll listen to these um, internal and external stimuli and be very receptive to these different things going on. And to induce a trance like this, the hypnotist, um, you know, slowly persuades the participant to relax, to lose interest in everything else, to focus on my voice. And this is a very trusting environment. And it really helps, sorry, I'm breaking my trance there. It really helps that the participant has like a really vivid imagination. Um, it's really, it becomes easier for them to become susceptible to hypnotists, hypnotists and suggestions that they put forth because this person just, their mind just kind of runs with it. They have a very creative imagination. So uh, hypnotists and patients, uh, they work together to try to solve problems, to learn more about how participants' minds work. And just for the record, anyone can resist hypnosis by refusing to open their mind to the hypnotist, despite what you might see in movies and stuff. Now, 
you can use hypnosis for a lot of different things. We just kind of started a little bit on the previous one here, but um, you can use it to reduce pain. Hypnotic analgesia, uh, if I pronounce that right, A-N-A-L-G-E-S-I-A. Analgesia? Analgesia? I, I, I'm sorry, pronunciation bad. But this refers to the reduction of pain reported by patients after they have had or undergone hypnosis. Now, another one, post-hypnotic suggestion. Hypnotists can suggest things for their participants to remember or forget when the trance is over. Um, you'll see, you know, people use hypnosis. Um, Olympic athletes use self-hypnosis to achieve peak performance. Uh, coaches, trainers, uh, they try to get, do mental rehearsal uh, prior to competition. One of the things um, I always think of is tennis players. Um, you'll see them before they serve. They have like a little ritual to kind of get their like brain kind of like into the mindset of like, all right, it's time to hit a serve kind of thing. So, you know, just my little tennis, uh, little nod in there. All right. So kind of we think of hypnosis, but also uh, meditation. I, I kind of think they go hand in hand, or at least in my mind they kind of do. But anyhow, um, a person is focusing on his or her attention basically on an image, on a thought, um, with the whole goal of just clearing their mind. So they're focusing on kind of one thing, and this is supposed to produce relaxation, uh, inner peace, uh, all through meditation. So uh, transcendental meditation. This involves the mental repetition of a mantra, uh, usually a Sanskrit uh, phrase. Um, you can look some of those up if you want. I don't have any here handy, sorry. Uh, but they usually, these participants, they'll sit back with their eyes closed and meditate for, you know, 15 and 20 minutes or so, uh, about twice a day. Now, another type of meditation, i got two more here for you. Um, mindfulness meditation, uh, usually Buddhist tradition. Um, you're just kind of focusing on the present moment. And uh, they, you know, these people, they might uh, move their focus uh, through their body from, you know, the tips of their toes to the top of their head. Um, you know, just all while just paying particular attention to these areas um, and just kind of relieving stress as you go. Uh, breath meditation, just as the name sound, you concentrate on your respiration, inhaling, exhaling. Um, meditation is it's shown to help people lower blood pressure, help out with heart rates, respiration rates. All these things are, are really great benefits of having uh, meditation in your life. All right, now... For our last section here, and I apologize, this one's going to be a little bit longer. Um, just for the sake of uh, not splitting this up, I'm going to kind of get through this last little bit here. So um, we've brought up drugs before and the effect on the brain. and we, We've been talking here about meditation's effect on the brain and you know respiratory, your sleep or lack of sleep and the different stages and what your brain's going through. So I kind of put this one in here just because this unit was a little bit smaller, so thought I'd add a little bit more. But... Um, now, people use drugs for a whole bunch of different things. We've talked about uh, health for drugs is helping people get to sleep or something. Uh, but sometimes people do them for other reasons. Um, we have the bad reasons of doing drugs. To avoid boredom, to fit in with peers, gain more self-confidence, forget about problems, relax, simply to feel good. Not always good reasons to do drugs. So please, don't, don't do bad drugs or anything like that. I mean... Advil, I mean, I guess that helps people. I mean, it is technically a drug. Caffeine's a drug. So anyhow, take this stuff for what it's worth. It's informational and it's what it's meant to be. So drugs can be anything from caffeine, as we said, stimulants, depressants, alcohol, hallucinogens, marijuana, LSD. So it's a, it's a wide range. And these have 
bad effects on us and our brains and our development. So, you know, I'm not trying to get all preachy with you or anything like that, but just some information and kind of like how this affects our nervous system, our brains, our minds, all those kind of things. So uh, the first one I'm gonna talk about is psychoactive drugs. And these interact with the central nervous system and they alter a person's mood, perception, and behavior. And you know we've talked in other units, we'll talk in other units about mood, perception, behavior. These are things you don't really want to mess with, um, you know, with I guess without a, a doctor being involved with anything like that, um, you know, because some of these drugs I'll be talking about are legalized, like marijuana. In some states, we have uh, medical marijuana, recreational marijuana, um, and it is an intoxicant and a hallucinogen. And the active ingredient is this. THC, these tetrahydrocannabinoil, sorry, my pronunciation is terrible, um, but uh, users that use this, they report having a sensory experience seemingly greatly augmented, music sounds fuller, colors look brighter, smells are stronger, foods have more flavor, and other experiences are more intense than usual. And users may feel elated, uh, the world may seem somehow more meaningful, and even the most ordinary events may take on greater significance. Um, and it is not physically addictive, although people may become psychologically dependent on it. Um, it can have a lot of unpleasant experiences. Um, if someone is frightened, unhappy, depressed to begin with, there's a high chance that this will enhance those negative feelings, make them worse, um, and the, the world to this person becomes temporarily very upsetting to them. And a lot of studies suggest that marijuana is more damaging to the lungs than cigarette use. Um, it also can disrupt memory formation, uh, difficult to carry out mental or physical tasks. Uh, some researchers believe that long-term use can lead to dependence. Um, also shows, uh, research shows that adults using marijuana scored lower than uh, equal IQ non-users on a 12th grade academic achievement test. Now, that being said, there are medical uses, as we talked about earlier, that there is medical marijuana. Um, it has been found that there are some therapeutic uses um, for treatment of glaucoma, multiple sclerosis, uh, and those undergoing chemotherapy as well. Uh, and as we mentioned with marijuana, that is a hallucinogen. Just hallucinations in general, uh, just kind of giving a definition here, are perceptions that have no direct external cause. Uh, they involve seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling things that do not exist. And it appears that hallucinations sorry, are very much alike um, for, for most people. Um, so they're very similar. Um, so the drugs that cause these hallucinations, um, so people generally see geometric forms um, and like tunnel-like perspectives. Uh, forms are floating through their field of vision, combining with each other, duplicating themselves. Um, and hallucinations are more likely to involve uh, color. And probably the most potent, well-known hallucinogen is LSG, uh, which is lysergenic acid diethylamine, or sometimes known as acid. I'm sorry, my pronunciation is terrible on that. But it's a synthetic substance, and a dose of just a few millionths of a gram has noticeable effects. An average dose of 100 to 300 micrograms produces uh, an experiential state that lasts uh, six to fourteen hours. Um, it's also it's often like dissolved into like these dissolved in these little strips or paper or like sugar cubes. And uh, when someone is under this influence, their surroundings will shift and change. A wall uh, may seem to pulsate or breathe. A person may experience a disassociation of self into one's being, who observes another one and another who feels like just like this, you're, you're disconnected. Uh, there's a distortion of time. 
Um, and, you know, there's people have trouble performing simple tasks. Um, it impairs thinking. Um, people might think they're thinking more clearly, but they're definitely not. Um, sometimes there's like really bad panic attacks that happen from this uh, and a lot of other just very bad side effects. Um, stimulants. I had mentioned this one earlier. Um, you know, caffeine is probably the most, uh, the, the biggest one for a stimulant, but stimulants are drugs that uh, achieve their effect by stimulating the brain or central nervous system. Uh, they increase alertness, wakefulness, elevated moods, increase speech, motor activity, suppress appetite. Um, some are natural, some are synthetic. Uh, like I said, caffeine is the biggest one. Um, cocaine, nicotine, uh, both those extremely addictive. Amphetamines uh, are synthetic stimulants. Um, most common kind of illegal ones here, meth, speed. Uh, they increase physical activity, suppress appetite. They have terrible side effects, aggression, paranoia, agitation, chronic depression, convulsions, insomnia, violent behavior, schizophrenia, convul uh, I already said convulsions, sorry. Uh, damage to internal organs, um, you know, bad stuff. Um, and we're almost done here, gang, so we're slowing up here, but uh, a couple more for you. Uh, opiates, also sometimes called narcotics, opium, morphine, heroin, uh, that analgesia or pain reduction causes euphoria, sometimes described as pleasurable state, somewhere between awake and sleep, um, causes constipation, overdose of opiates results in a loss of control of breathing. Users will die from their respiratory system failing. They, they stop breathing. So very scary stuff. Um, and uh, another one, one of the most common ones uh, for depressants uh, and the most widely used and abused mind-altering substance in the United States, alcohol. And, you know, it, it seems like the United States society um, encourages the use of it. I mean, look at advertisements, look at social expectations and traditions within our society. Um you know, a general effect or immediate effect is the losing of inhibitions. People feel more free. Um, it, uh, what it's actually doing to your brain, it is inhibiting the brain's normal functions. And um, what's kind of interesting is studies have shown that not all the effects of alcohol, drinking alcohol, result from alcohol alone. A lot of them are social effects. People think that they are going to act a certain way, so they do. Uh, which is kind of interesting. In one study, uh, men who were led to believe that they were drinking alcohol when they were actually just re drinking some tonic water uh, became more aggressive. They also felt more sexually aroused and less socially anxious. Uh, they call this the placebo effect. In definition for you, a beneficial effect produced by a drug or treatment which cannot be attributed to the properties of the placebo itself. So you're experiencing these things even though there's nothing really you should experience from this thing. And um, therefore, um, whatever you know you are experiencing, it's because of the belief that you would be experiencing that. And the last bit of drug thing I'm going to go over here before we talk about um, you know how to help people that are dealing with drug addiction and so forth um, are barbiturates, and these are drugs that act on certain parts of the brain. Um, they tend to depress the functions of just all bodily tissues, so you you worry about different parts of your body shutting down. Uh, but it's uh, the idea behind it is it produces a calming effect in small doses, um, and it can uh, help with sleep in larger doses. Uh, habitual users, people are using it all the time, may become dependent on this and go through withdrawal symptoms if they are not uh, had they have access to it. Um, and overdoses of barbiturates can cause result uh, you know, comas and death. 
in routine medical practice, barbiturates have largely been replaced uh, by other depressants, uh, benzodiazepines, uh, like Valium and Xanax, um, and these are used for treatment of insomnia and anxiety. We talked about large dose causing sleep. Now, you know, how to deal with, you know, we talk about all these drugs, and I, I do want to talk a little bit about addiction. Now, please, with all this information, please know that this is just kind of an overview. Um, you know, don't don't take everything that is said in any of any of this stuff as like this is 100% it, this is gospel, or anything along those lines. This is all meant to kind of help you to think about different things and kind of get a better understanding. But with anything, you know, always you know get information from from true sources other than something you downloaded on the internet, kind of thing. Um, this is meant as a jumping off point of information, not an end-all be-all resource. So I hope you guys understand that with all information that you receive through my podcast. But um, the treatment of drug addiction um, usually involves these three steps. And please, once again, don't take all this as like, this is it or anything. This is just a general idea. Um, number one, the drug abuser must admit that they have a problem. Okay, that's we see this in a lot of step programs and stuff. You have to admit you have a problem. And then number two, the drug abuser must enter a treatment program or get therapy, get help from a professional. And three, the drug abuser must remain drug free. Um, this is tough. Some people relapse and it's good if they have support groups um, that can be there to help uh, preventing this from occurring and you know have stability in their lives. So like I said, that's just kind of a way to end all this to talk about, you know, treating addiction. And, you know, I hope people are, are getting help if they need help. So anyhow, we will stop there for today and we'll pick up uh, with uh, kind of a shorter unit next one. But uh, we'll jump back in soon. So talk to you soon, Psychonauts.